I'm not sure what you necessarily expect from an Easter service or an Easter sermon. Easter in the church is kind of a big deal. Some people describe it as the Super Bowl of Sundays. Uh, On that theme, a really important mentor of mine sent me a text message this week. He was letting me know that he was been been thinking of me and praying for me, especially as this was my first Easter here as senior pastor. And then he gave me some, some words of advice and encouragement. Here's what he said. He said, enjoy Holy Week. Remember that you can't stink on Easter. (laughs) Stroked my chin and read the text. Thanks? (laughs) (laughs) So in an effort not to stink, we're going to keep things really simple this morning. Keep things really simple and just ask two questions from the text that we read together. Two simple questions. First of all, what is the message of Easter? What's the message of Easter? Why are we here? What's all this fuss about? Why the hoopla? Why the celebration? What is the message of Easter? And secondly, who is this message for? Who is this message for? For people like me, people like you, who does this message belong to? What is the message of Easter? And then who is this message for? Let's start then by reflecting. What is the message of Easter? And you don't need to be a pastor, and you don't even really need a pastor to tell you. The message of Easter is Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen? He is risen indeed. We know the message of Easter. We believe that on this day, some 2,000 years ago, early in the morning, the tomb was visited, and he was not there because he had risen. Jesus had risen victorious over death. It was not strong enough to hold him. Its shackles were not tight enough to keep him down. And so he rose again victorious, conquering death because it could not hold him down. And because he lives, we might live also. In some ways, the familiarity of this truth is the challenge or is the problem because we know it so well, perhaps you might say too well. And there's a big difference, isn't there, between knowing something in theory and experiencing it in reality. A world of difference between knowing something in your head and really experiencing it in your life. Remember a really powerful time, this struck me, was when we had our first child. Uh, Rosie and I were 18 and 19 years young when we got pregnant with our first baby. Uh, We were not married at that time. It was a crazy season and a story that I would be glad to share more about with you when we have more time. I remember really powerfully where I was when Rosie told me that she was pregnant. We were in Princess Street Gardens, which is this beautiful park in the very center of Edinburgh, under the shadow of Edinburgh Castle. It's the most picturesque, beautiful scene imaginable. She told me this news, and yes, I confess, there were several moments of shock and awe, of dazed and confused, of kind of like, what? Um, But after I kind of gathered my senses, from that moment on, I knew we were having a baby. We were having a baby. And so I went into the mode I always go into whenever there's a task at hand, which is full of more energy, we were going to attack this. And so I went and I read a bunch of books about being pregnant, and I read a bunch of books about parenting, and I read a bunch of books on anything I could get my hands on. And then I went to all the medical appointments with Rosie. We went to all these different things, and some of them were really boring, some of them were really exciting, like when you get the scan and you see the wee arms and the legs and the tummy and the face, and you're like, this is awesome. Um, we start to get our, you know, we got married and then we start to get our house ready and had to get a crib and get loads of diapers and all sorts of things that 
I never knew you needed. Um, and all sorts of little clothes. You know those clothes that you're like, there's no way that anyone is ever going to be small enough to fit in this, right? Uh, just sort of gearing up, prepared. Why? Because I knew we were having a baby. Then the 17th of August, 2001, arrived. And with it, so did Mia, our oldest daughter. And I remember being in the delivery room, and uh, she was handed to me. And I took her, and I looked at her. And this wave came over me of just something I'd never, it felt like I'd never realized before. We just had a baby. Like, I knew this was going to happen, but I was not ready for this. Uh, Rosie smiled, looked at me, and said, Yeah, you know, I had warned you about this. <laughs> and so, you know, the first words my daughter heard me say, you know, as a dad, you want to pass on wisdom to your daughter. First thing my daughter ever heard me say was words to Rosie, I knew you were pregnant, but I wasn't expecting an actual person. <laughs> <laughs> Many of you all have had your own experiences, having kids or or in different ways. There's a gulf, a world of difference between something you know in your head, we're having a baby, and something you experience in your life, we're having a baby. A world of difference between theory and experience. And the text that we read this morning is really designed to drive us beyond the theory of Easter to the experience of Easter, beyond just knowing about Easter as fact, Jesus is risen, to experiencing Easter as fact. He is risen for me. He is risen for you. The angel was at um, great pains to make this clear to the woman that first arrived. They have made their way there early in the morning. They have bought spices and they are planning to anoint Jesus's dead body. On their way, they are conversing as the sun comes up about how they will get access to him because they know that there'll be a big stone rolled in front of the tomb. They arrive and the stone is gone. They peer in and they see this young man dressed in a white robe. Other gospels make it very clear to us that this is none other than an angel. And this angel does three things to really highlight the message of Easter, to highlight that Jesus is risen. The first thing that he does to highlight this message of Easter is roll the stone away from the front of the tomb. Other gospel describes it in Matthew that the angel rolled the stone away and then sat on it, which is just such a curious reference. You know, he's sitting there chilling, the ladies show up, he's like, hey, you know, here I am. Um, He rolled the stone away from the tomb. Now, here's the question. Why did the angel roll the stone away? It wasn't so that Jesus could get out. You know, you can have this picture. Jesus is in there. You hear the muffled voice. I'm risen, you know. All right, let me out. (laughs) Um, You know, the angel doesn't appear and be like, oh, sorry, Jesus, you know. (laughs) No, he didn't roll the stone away so that Jesus can get out. He rolls the stone away so that we can see in. And when we look in, what do we see? Nothing. Nothing, because he's emphasizing the message of Easter, Jesus is risen. Second thing the angel does that's interesting is he backs up this visual lesson with just the straight words themselves. This is again in verse 6. He says, he is risen. He is not here. Positively, 
he is risen. You can see the woman confused by this truth, and it's understandable. You can imagine the scene. They've arrived. It's early morning. They're still a little sleepy. They've been confronted by this angel. The tomb is open. Jesus is gone. It's a lot to take in, and they're kind of looking around, trying to get their minds wrapped around this, looking for Jesus. Where is he gone? And the angel says, no, seriously, he's not here. He's risen. He's, he's, he's gone. Enforcing again the central message of Easter, that Jesus is risen. Third thing he does, very interesting, is he says to them, come see the place where he lay. End of verse 6. Come and see the place where they laid him. Come into the tomb for yourselves. Look around. See the grave clothes that are folded there nicely. Uh, see the place where he was stretched out. Look around the corners and just confirm for your own heart and for your own soul that he really isn't here. Why? Because he's risen. The angel comes to them to give them this instruction and this threefold instruction of the same Easter message so that they might know beyond uh, theory, beyond intellect, that Jesus really has risen. And we get given this text this morning and we get given this celebration of Easter that the same thing might be confirmed to us, that we might know beyond theory, beyond concept, that Jesus Christ is risen. The message of Easter is that he is not here. We can look at the place where they laid him, but you will not find him because he isn't to be found among the corpses. He is to be found in the land of the living. He is risen, he is alive, and so we can meet with him here today. How I long in my own heart and in my own soul, and for you, right where you are this morning, to have one of those delivery room moments about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For you to be like, I was expecting Easter, but I was not expecting an actual Savior. For it to strike you fresh and new that the Savior is here. That's the message of Easter. Jesus is risen. But who is it for? Who is this message for? The angel makes the answer to this question very clear to us in verse 7, where after explaining to the two women that Jesus has risen from the dead, he gives them a very specific instruction, which is, take this news, take this message of Easter, and go and tell, verse 7, the disciples and Peter. Take this news that Jesus is, is no longer here. You can see where he laid. He is risen and alive. Take this message to the disciples and Peter. Who is the message of Easter for? It's for the disciples and Peter. At first, I didn't really think of this as good news. Why? Because the disciples and Peter, they're the, they're the religious people. You know, they're the good people. They're the people who follow Jesus and have their stuff together. And so they're the people who Jesus is going to be pleased with and impressed by because they're kind of the religious types. But it means that the gospel is really for those people over there. It's not really for normal people. It's not really for people like me. And it's not really for people like you. It's for, you know, you know the spiritual people. Yeah. And that's just not altogether very encouraging. But then when we think about it a little longer, we see that Nothing, in fact, could be further from the truth. Why? Because the disciples and Peter might have the reputation of being a bunch of holy guys. But in reality, these are the people that this very weekend, 
this very weekend, in the last few hours, have betrayed and denied and left and abandoned Jesus. These are the people who have shown themselves to be far from holy. These are the people who have shown themselves to be far from religious. These are the people who have shown themselves that that, that they don't have it all together. And I love that it says the disciples and Peter. It seems a little redundant because Peter was one of the disciples. So why does it say the disciples and Peter? It's like saying the pastors and James. Why does he add in Peter? He adds in Peter because of all the failures that were the disciples. He is the biggest failure. He's the biggest one. In the last few hours, he is the one who has denied his savior three times. Peter's a great guy, and he's biblically one of my favorite characters, because he just he does everything full throttle. He is, he's the Chuck Norris of disciples, right? <laughs> and so he serves Jesus wholeheartedly, and he loves Jesus wholeheartedly. And then you know what? He sins wholeheartedly. And he fails with abandon. No one fails like Peter. So I kind of like him. Because in him, I see hope. If this use is for people like Peter, for people who don't have it all together, for people who are sinful, for people who are broken, for people who have shame, for people who have regret, then maybe this is news for me. See, far too often we think of the gospel, it kind of like getting into heaven is kind of like God's lifetime achievement award. You know? Um, you've lived a good life and you show up at the Oscars and you walk the red carpet and you tell Ryan Seacrest what you're wearing and then you get on stage and they give you this award for all your good deeds and then they put up on the silver screen the highlight reel of your best moments. And that would be okay, but the thing I'm worried about is the rest of my movie. (laughs) The rest of my movie. You know, um, what are we going to do when they put on the silver screen everything I ever said to my wife. Ah, awkward. What am I going to do when they put up on the silver screen all my flaws, all my brokenness, all my shame? I don't think I'm going to get the Lifetime Achievement Award. I need a gospel that comes to people like Peter. I need a gospel. Who's the gospel for? I need a gospel that is for broken sinful people. And that's who it's for, which is why the angel commands them to tell the disciples and Peter, because the gospel, Easter, is a message of grace, a message of undeserved favor. So Peter, someone who didn't deserve forgiveness, didn't deserve relationship with God, in fact, deserved condemnation, would have his name personally called out by Jesus. And so that people like me and you who don't deserve forgiveness, people who deserve condemnation, people who have shame and guilt and regret, people who who have no means to get to God themselves would have our names personally called out by Jesus. So that this morning, this resurrection morning, Jesus Christ is alive and calling your name by grace. message of Easter, Jesus is risen. Who is it for? People like us. And he's here, so come. Hear him calling your name. Ask him for forgiveness. And you'll receive it full and free, because the gospel is of grace. That is better than the Super Bowl. Someone give me an amen. Amen.
Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together, and we thank you for this time in your word. And Lord, I'm, I'm so grateful for the way in which you make so powerfully clear to us the message of Easter, that Jesus is risen, and that you go further to make clear who this message is for, that it's not for people who think they've got everything together, but it's for people who are broken and rebellious and need forgiveness. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning you would (laughs) strike us, uh, you would inflict us with that delivery room realization. We knew it was Easter, but we weren't expecting a Savior like this. We're glad and grateful. This, (laughs) this day, is a good day to be following Jesus. Pray it all in his perfect and matchless name. Amen.